Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. You guys pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are and thank you for what you're doing Uh, in this place and even right now globally. You are a global God with a global mission and agenda and nothing's going to thwart it. And so I just thank you that your grace is uh, moving in the way that you promised even 2,000 years ago. And I just want to stop and acknowledge for a second what should be intuitive, but God, we need you. And we need you even over these next couple minutes. I I need your power and I need your spirit to do what only he can do. And I pray for those who are far from you and don't believe. I'm so thankful they're listening somewhere, they're in the room. And and I just pray that maybe even today you'd start to give them a new perspective of who you are and what you're offering. And those of us maybe followed you for a long time, God, disrupt us. Do something in us that maybe we weren't even anticipating today. It just was another checkbox, but... You have different plans. And so just do your thing right now. And I pray that you would get all of the glory. We just want Jesus to dominate this time. And so um, I'm asking you to do that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So we're in part seven. Uh, this is a 10-week series. So it's longer than normal. That's, that's going to be how long it goes, if you like it or not. So this is part seven. It's going to go 10 parts. And we've been talking about the filters that we put on Jesus. So a lot of us, as we've said, kind of have an Instagram Jesus where we select the filter to produce the image we want. And so you have activist Jesus and angry Jesus. And um, some of you have a cuddly form of Jesus with his feathered hair and um, olive skin and soft-spoken. And some of you um, have whatever other Jesus you come up with. And a lot of times Jesus just ends up being another kind of manifestation of just what we want. Jesus is always on our side. We're always on Jesus' side. Jesus even votes the same way that we do. Um, Jesus is just along those lines. And then when Jesus shows up and then the actual Jesus you see in the New Testament, he was a disruptive force. And not just initially when you begin to follow Jesus, but all the way through, that he is not easy to control and categorize. And as much as we think this is the case, we can't corner the market on Jesus. And so what does the unfiltered Jesus look like who came to disrupt some things in terms of our thinking, our life, and I think some things that need to be disrupted in our churches. And so that's what we've looked at for these weeks. And there's no more disruptive moment than the one that you're aware of. And we looked at these verses a few weeks ago, but you remember Jesus at the end of his life, maybe? He's about to have lights out on this whole thing. He's about to complete the mission he came to complete. And he he says these words that you've heard. I I give you a new command. I want you to love one another the way that I've loved you. And and it's so easy to just, I mean, even if you're not a Jesus follower, just you know. And and it's funny because this is an intuitive thing that even if you haven't embraced Jesus, you kind of know that like this is a big deal. I'll filter out the Jesus thing maybe, but yeah, man, if if this were more a part of my life or my neighborhood or our culture, things would change. 
Like for some of you, you're in a bad marriage right now. And if you could snap a finger and somehow both of you started moving in the direction where you were loving when you didn't feel like loving, something would change in your marriage. Like you don't see that happening, but if it did, or that thing that you're carrying around as a teenager, something that was done to you. And you look back and go, if, if that individual had embraced this command, my life would be different. Or maybe it's like, you look at parents sometimes, man, they get a lot wrong and yet somehow are able to just get this right. And it seems to change everything. Like we intuitively know the power, but, but we kind of lose sight of all of the, the ways that this changes how we view the world. But Jesus is like in that upper room, he's about to die. He says, this is what I want for you. And by this, the world is gonna know that you're my followers and you're my disciples. And again, I keep saying this, but imagine how shocking this was. Like all the things that they had seen Jesus do, it, not just Jesus' love for them, but the way they had seen Jesus love other people. I mean, this was next level. I mean, you think even the night that Jesus was crucified, I don't know if you know this story, um, all these Roman soldiers came in, they were contracted out. They had the, the responsibility to get Jesus, secure Jesus and take him off to be crucified. And in the garden that night, um, there was a guy by the name of Malchus. He was one of the Roman soldiers that came to take Jesus, arrest Jesus, crucify Jesus. And, and Peter <laughs> um, overreacts, which Peter often did, but I get it. I mean, a lot of emotion in the garden that night. They know it's not gonna end well. Peter grabs a knife or a, a sword or whatever, and he cuts off Malchus's ear, falls to the ground in the garden. And then Jesus, like you have come to crucify me and arrest me. Jesus reaches down, gets Malchus's ear and just puts it back on his head. And my point is, can you imagine the dinner conversation that night? Like Malchus coming home, hey babe, how did your day go? Well, I had to arrest somebody to, you know, end up enduring Roman crucifixion, which we often do. It's my job. But the little caveat that made tonight different was uh, I got my ear cut off and you can't tell because the guy that I came to arrest and crucify put it back on my head. <laughs> like, can you, like, and, and whether it was Rome or the Pharisees or like Jesus constantly, I mean, it was so disruptive, but he's like, this is the thing. This, if you forget everything else, just do this. And we kind of know, even if you don't buy into Jesus, that this is the thing. Like if this were more present in our world or in your life or whatever it is, it, like things would just be different. And yet sometimes when you preach this in the church, we just become so inoculated to it. And there's this idea that, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I agree, but there's got, there's got to be more to it than that. Like that, that can be a, a little watered down. It can seem a little, just love everybody. Like you gotta add a little bit onto it. I, I think people could abuse that, like a sin. I mean, what do you do about that? And it's almost as if we walk away and, and have this idea that Jesus didn't think it all the way through. Like Jesus is getting away from the table that night before he's gonna be crucified to go, oh, dang, I should have given them more detail. I should have said, okay, here's like a big command, but then there's a bullet list of 10 other things that you need to keep in mind because I'm not sure where they're gonna take this. But I'm telling you, Jesus is so brilliant. And I think we've lost this as our filter. And here's what I mean. This is what I wanna specifically deal with today because for some of you, you have the idea, and I hear this all the time, so I get it. But you have the idea of, okay, yeah, 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 love, love, yeah, yeah, love, but... Dude, sin needs to be addressed. 
Somebody needs to deal with sin. Sin's a real thing. Sin needs to be handled. And so we started to have this idea of like, I, I'm a little uncomfortable with the series. You talked a lot about Jesus' love and grace and the prodigal and last week about enjoying Jesus messed everything up for me. And, and so like, what, a, what about sin? Yeah, love, but as if Jesus' command that it's all gonna come down to this, that somehow that doesn't inform our view and our response to sin. Like in the, in the room where Jesus is like, this is gonna be the command. I want you to love other people when you experience my love for you and it's gonna change the world and it's gonna inform how you see and respond to everything, including sin. This isn't letting anything off the hook, but there is a new ethic that is different than what was found in the Old Testament that is going to lead the way in the world, including how you view sin. So there's two things I wanna look at, um, not real quick, but because that's a lie. But the first thing is this, is that love really is the filter for how we view sin. Because I know some of you have been tracking this series and you're like, finally, you and your big Bible going, finally, somebody, I'm just kidding, your big Bible's fine. Um, so you're gonna address sin because at some point you gotta get to this. And so here's what I would say to you, is sin is a big deal. Sin's a big deal. Like, we believe in the Garden of Eden that sin was entered in through Adam and Eve. I know some of you don't believe that. We believe that Genesis is real because Jesus quoted Genesis, talked about Genesis as, as real, and Jesus rose from the grave. So I, you're legit, but you haven't done that. And so the guy who comes back to life, go with whatever he says. And so Jesus says that Genesis is real. So in the Garden, there's that whole narrative where sin enters the world and it fractures everything. And sin begins to kill everything, not just physically, but spiritually. And it kills relationships and it kills dreams and it kills self-esteem and it, it kills stuff. And it, it began to infest and affect everything so that every single individual that was born into this world after Adam and Eve, they were born in sin. They're born, it's kind of offensive for some of you, but they're, they're born a sinner, not because they sin, because it's who they are. You got a two-year-old, that for the first time lies and manipulates, like, you know what I'm talking about. I don't think you have to believe in God to believe at some level that is true. You know, like, I didn't teach you that. I'm pretty sure your mom didn't teach you that. I'm not home every day, but I'm pretty sure your mom didn't teach you that. Like, that's just sin living in you and it's fractured everything. In fact, the scripture even says that it broke creation, that creation is not what it should be and will be because of sin. And it's affected us emotionally and physically and spiritually. And it's the biggest thing is it's broken a relationship between creation and creator, but sin is a big deal. In fact, the whole Old Testament and the Old Testament law was basically to, to punctuate the point that sin is a big deal. You gotta have a blood sacrifice, you gotta bring a goat, you gotta bring a lamb, you gotta go to the temple, you gotta jump through all these hoops. And the whole reason behind that was to let the world know for a number of decades, hey, sin is a big deal, sin is a big deal, sin is a big deal, you need help. And then Jesus shows up and says, Help is here, I've made my point, the whole Testament, sin is a big deal. You're never gonna be able to do anything about it on your own, you need help. And so now I am here and I'm gonna go to a cross and it's not gonna be a blood of a bull or a goat, it's gonna be me. I'm gonna demonstrate to the world what love looks like. And then when I walk off of that cross, you're gonna know how serious I was when I said, I want you to love other people the way that I've loved you. And I want that to begin to filter its way into everything you do and everything you see, including how you see see and respond to sin. Love still leads the way. It's the only command that matters. 
So I'll explain what I mean in a second. I'll try to unpack this more fully. But here's what I know, man. For a lot of you, that, that hasn't been your experience. And, and you've gotten the whole sin is a big deal thing, but you never felt like love was the filter for how people saw that or responded to that. Whether it was some kind of sex thing, whether it was some kind of addiction or habit that you went through that time in college when you, you had that weed problem. Um, the, the, the stuff that just was like, I mean, just things you knew weren't right, and it was a divorce you went through, but just sin, man. You watched The Simpsons when you were not supposed to. <laughs> and some of you don't get that. Some of you, if you grew up um, in the environment that I grew up in, you get that. Um, or you, went to, you snuck out and went to the movies because that was a big deal because nobody wanted to support that industry. So then they would um, get VCRs and rent movies in their home and usually those were worse than what you would see at the theater. But dang it, we're going to stick to our rule. Nobody's thought it through, though, um, because we're defeating the purpose of the reasoning of why we don't go to the movie. So I'm just getting stuff off my chest right now. So my point is, <laughs> you, you, like, you dealt with some kind of sin, and the response was, it was, well, we, 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 we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. But a lot of times that line gets blurred. And it, there was anger, there was di God's disappointed with you or whatever, what God's gonna, some, about his favor and his blessing and loss of fellowship. And it felt a little bit like fear mongering and, and it didn't seem like, yeah, I know that sin's a big deal. In a lot of cases, I don't even want this, but I, I can't seem to get out of it. And, and love just didn't seem to lead the way. And can, okay, this is just a side note. Can I just say this? Is that when we deal in the currency of fear, it never works. Hey, don't, don't take sex outside of God's plans because sex is going to lead to syphilis and you just need to not do that. Or, or hey, if you do this, then, then God is. If you don't, God will or, or whatever else that, that we come up with or, or I'm just literally going to scare the hell out of people. And yet when you look at Jesus' ministry, he, he never did that. In fact, he never, when he started a conversation, hell wasn't even on the radar as he began a conversation because he never led in the currency of fear because fear can't do anything. Fear loses its power after a while. And, and I just say this to, to parents because I grew up not in my home, thankfully, but in an environment that I was around where, I mean, there was a lot of Christian parents that they use the currency of fear. The only problem with that is there is gonna come a point where that fear loses its its power and they don't fear you anymore and you've lost some of that control and there's nothing that's anchoring them to Jesus. And so in your desire to keep them off the rails, you are sending them off the rails because fear does not work. A whole generation tried it and it did not work. Only Jesus. And it never leads off with fear. In fact, I don't know why this verse doesn't get more airtime. Romans 2, 4, this is the New Living Translation. Paul writes this, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that this kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? And, and sin's a big deal, but if someone had responded to your sin through the lens of this one command to love, I, I think maybe things would be different for you. Like, here's what you need to know. If you felt 
preached from stages like this or you just felt internally this idea that it's about anger or condemnation or whatever else has kind of been stacked up, you just need to know that is not the voice of Jesus. That is not how Jesus operates. That is not the currency that he uses. And the only way out or the only way back from wherever you are is through his kindness and through his love. The one command to love is not just relegated to your kids or relationship with your spouse. It's even the filter for how you view sin. Love has got to lead the way. I don't know if any of you got that, but love has got to lead the way. So here's what Paul says in Galatians 5.14, and then I'll unpack this in a second. He says this, you, you maybe know this verse, the law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor, and this is huge. Everybody skips over this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he, he's not talking about, I think it was Terrell Owens on the sidelines of the Niners going, I just love me some me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I love me some me. <laughs> I'm not talking about Conor McGregor kind of thing. I don't know them, so I shouldn't be talking about them. But um, the entire law is summed up in the command to love your neighbor as yourself. What Paul is doing is going, okay, Jesus already said in the upper room that as you experience, because it all starts here, go back to last week, being obsessed with Jesus' love for you. As you begin to understand that, his love for you is gonna change your view of you that ultimately is gonna lead you to loving other people around you differently. And so Jesus came into to our time and space and uh, begun a relationship with us if, if we've ever entered into that by faith. And he says, I want you to know my love and then I want you to love you, not in a T.O. kind of way, but I want you to love you understanding your worth in me, that I love you, that the best is ahead for you, that I am not defining you by your current sin. I'm defining who you through who you actually are in Christ, that there is a hope, that there is a future for you, that I am going to finish what I started in your life. And so when you understand my love that begins to give you a different view of you, ultimately it's gonna pour out the people around you. Like this is why this command is so huge is because if you are not under the umbrella and waterfall of that love, or you don't understand how sin affects, you will begin to make decisions that hurt you, that change the game in every part of your life. Like some of you have made so many decisions that have hurt you that you, you almost feel like it's your natural reaction to hurt other people around you. The gossip that you can't stop is because there is so much insecurity that you feel. And so you're constantly robbing other people of their integrity and you're hurting, but it's coming out of your hurt. Or, or it's, it's this thing where you've made so many bad decisions in relationships where you've really, you've really hurt some people and you've hurt you. And now you get into other relationships. I know I'm talking to somebody here. And, and because of that thing that you carry and because of your view of you, you almost can't help hurting other people around you because you just think, eventually I'm gonna screw it up anyway. Eventually I'm gonna sabotage the relationship. I might as well just speed that up and do it now. And there's a self-sabotaging in your relationships that are coming from your hurt and your view of you. And so Paul anchoring to what Jesus said and summarizing is going, this is why this is such a big deal. You need to understand Jesus' love for you so that you love you in regard to how he sees you so you're able to love other people around you. And so so now that changes the filter for sin. It's not about condemnation any longer. I'll talk about in a minute, that happened at the cross. It's not about payback. It is not about anger. It is about hurt. The reason that sin is a big deal is not because God is trying to pay you back. The reason that sin is a big deal is informed by love. Sin always hurts people. 
Sin always hurts people. And you can yet say yes or give me a head nod so that I know that you are in the house and you hear me right now. Sin always hurts people. Sin always hurts people. Thank you. Sin always hurts people. Oftentimes we'll come up with the language of, uh, yeah, but it's, it's not hurting anybody. I can do what I want when I want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. And here's what you need to know. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you are made in the image of God. When you look in the mirror, you're made in the image of God. When you look around you, you're looking at other people who are made in the image of God. Meaning you can't do anything that hurts you without hurting somebody who loves you because you hurt your heavenly father who says to you, I have made you in my image and I love you whether you have entered into relationship with me or not. So every time you hang on to sin, you hurt somebody. You hurt you and you hurt me and just mark it down. Eventually it's gonna hurt other people around you. And so Jesus' approach and filter and view of sin is not what many of you have experienced. It is, hey, my, my response and position toward your sin is I'm hurt. I'm not angry. I'm not even disappointed because I knew what I was getting into. I knew what you were gonna do. There's no surprises. I just want more for you. I want more for my kids. And it's all about love. So whatever you heard about sin and the fear mongering, the anger, all of that went away. Jesus is here. I want you to move forward in my love, understanding my love, loving other people. And as long as, as you're grabbing a hold and hanging on to perpetual sin, you can't do that. So, so what should our new filter be in regard to how we see sin? And it really just comes down to this. This is Jesus' filter. This is why it's a big deal. These, are, these should be the questions that, that we ask that, the first one is this, that love, love says that I shouldn't do anything that hurts me. The next slide. Love says I shouldn't do anything that hurts me. Because one of the primary tactics of the enemy, because he can't take your life, he just wants to steal your life. And so what happens is you begin to enter into sin or this thing that you know and you won't let go of, you begin to distort your view of you. And some of you know what I'm talking about, where you don't feel loved, you don't feel like God is with you. And it's not that he's not, it's that sin distorts. Sin moves in and gives us a lack of clarity. And so that's the enemy's primary tactic. If I can keep you here long enough, I can't steal your life, but I can make it ineffective. I can lead you to a place where you never really experience love and life is lived at its fullest when you understand Jesus' love. And so he says to you, hey, my command to love infects everything. I'm not coming to pay you back. That happened at the cross. I don't want you to do anything that hurts you because you won't know how much I love you and it's gonna affect everything else in your life. And love says that you shouldn't do anything that's gonna hurt somebody around you because you can't hurt and love. You can't hurt and experience the life that Jesus has. And Jesus is like, I want more. And then the third thing, love says that you shouldn't do anything to hurt your heavenly father. And whether you think it's affecting anybody around you, you just need to know you're in the Imago Dei image of God. You can't do anything to hurt you that's not gonna hurt your heavenly father. And he is here. He wants to lead you back. He is not angry or mad, but he's going, come on. You are experiencing so much less than what I have for your life. And love says you should leave that behind. What if, like, what if that had been the filter for how you view or viewed your sin and how other people viewed your sin. That it wasn't anger, condemnation, retribution, or payback, but it was, 
it was hurt. God has more. And love defines how we see sin. There's no better picture of this in the narrative. We looked at a lot of familiar narrative, but the one maybe you've heard about where Jesus meets the woman in adultery. I wish we knew her name so we didn't have to call her by that, but that's all we've got is Jesus meets this woman in adultery and he's um, at, at like the steps of the temple. He's a couple hundred yards away probably from where they offered sacrifices. Um, and he's teaching and the Pharisees bring this woman because they're voyeuristic peeping toms. That's not in the scripture. That's basically what they are. They, they catch her in adultery and they drag her in the middle of Jesus' teaching and and basically, and this is, we've talked about, this is what religion does. Religion always gets you looking at the wrong things and asking the wrong questions. Their, their ethic of love didn't inform how they saw sin and they didn't see this woman as somebody who was hurting, who had sabotaged relationships, probably had some stuff in her past they know nothing about. They're simply trying to trap Jesus. They're simply about the laws and the rule. They don't see sin as, hey, sin hurts. That's why sin's a big deal. And so they drag the woman Um, into the middle and John 8, 5 says this, that in the law of Moses, this is the Pharisees, they're like, hey, Jesus, we caught this woman. We just got a question for you. In the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And I love this because Jesus, we've talked about in, in other parts of the New Testament, is like, oh, Moses? One greater than Moses is here. Oh, the law? One greater than the law is here. His name is Jesus. So how do I respond? It's a big deal. The whole Testament was designed, the whole Testament law so that you would know it was a big deal. The law was designed for his chosen people to know this is what it looks like to have a relationship with God and you need help and the blood of bulls and goats, they're not gonna be able to take care of it. And so Moses, the law, they served its day, but they had an expiration date. I am here, I am the final sacrifice. And now it is not about condemnation. It is not about coming to a temple for a temporary fix. Yes. It's a big deal, but that's why I'm here. I'm about to go to a cross. Condemnation is gonna be eliminated forever. Love is gonna lead the way. It's gonna be the final commandment. So my response to sin is I'm gonna pay for it. The reason it's a big deal is not because I'm trying to pay back because I hurt and I have something better. And so he very strategically looks at this woman and says, here's what you need to know first. We should deal with your sin. It's a big deal, but I don't condemn you. Hey, I don't condemn you. I'm here because I don't condemn you. Now leave your life of sin because it's hurting you and it's hurting the people around you and it's sabotaging your relationship and a new ethic and a new command is dawning I want you to love the world as you understand my love and I want you to love you. And you're not gonna be able to do that as long as you're hanging on to these dysfunctional relationships. So leave it and leave your life of sin. Like, like here's the reality. For all of us in the church, like, what is, is there a verse for that? Can I do that? Does it say that? Did he address that in Matthew? Is that all right? Do you think it's all right? Do you think Jesus is all right with that? Hey, the law is dead. 
Love is here, meaning even how we view sin is led by the commandment to love. And in fact, your final authority, and stay within context here, is not just the Bible in regard to sin. And here's what I mean. The primary function of the Bible was to reveal Jesus, to reveal his scandalous grace and love, to let you know through the Old, the Old Testament, you can't do it. Sin's a big deal. So Jesus has come, help is on the way, the rescuer, the Messiah is here. And now Jesus has life that he is offering as you go out to understand his love and love others and love what he has done in your life. And so how we view sin is informed by the ethic of love. And in many cases, when we're trying to find a loophole in a verse, we misuse, abuse the Bible when this was not an exhaustive list of sin. It was, hey, Jesus is here, love is here, don't murder people, don't deal in adultery, I'll give you a few basics. But then after that, there's not a list, there's just the command to love. So go out into the world and ask the question, is this gonna hurt anybody around me? Is this gonna hurt me? Could this potentially hurt my heavenly father? Because I'm not here to follow a list of rules, I'm following Jesus and love is the final command. I don't even need a verse, I've got love. Like, I just wish we could change how we talk about sex. Sex in the fear mongering of, of whatever, whatever, and we elevate it and God's, no. Do you know why it's a big deal to take a sexual ethic outside how God's designed it? Because it's gonna hurt you. Because Jesus designed sex, and I talk about this a lot because the church, we're way behind and we just need to keep preaching this message. God designed it, it's for pleasure, it's good, it's amazing, it's a part of worship. That's how we should think of sex. But here's what I know about our culture. There's a lot of people dragging around shame and baggage and guilt in regard to sex, and Jesus never created it like that. He wants you to think of sex and go, Jesus, you are good, this is great, it is pleasure, it is your good gift. It showed up in the Garden of Eden, and I'm really, really glad. And so now when I look at it, I wanna follow you because I don't want to hurt me and I don't want to hurt somebody around me. And so when I somehow sabotage the sexual pleasure that God wants me to experience in relationship, intimacy in relationship, and when I sabotage it for somebody else, I'm not loving them. I'm not loving me. I'm distorting Jesus' love for me. It is not a big deal because Jesus elevates it. Jesus is angry. Jesus is paying you back. It's a big deal because he gave you an amazing gift and he doesn't want you to hurt you. That's why it's a big deal. Can we start preaching that message, please? And, and I give and be generous and serve. It's not a big deal because God's gonna give you something back. It's not a big deal because God's gonna reward you. It's a big deal because when you live a life where it's all about you and you don't give and you're not generous and you're not a part of his movement in the world, your life just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Because you were created for more, whether you realize it or not. Sometimes you realize it toward the end, but you were. And when you don't engage in that, it's just your life gets smaller and you miss out on all that God has for you because that's what he means when he says life to the full. You give your life away and you're gonna find all kinds of life and it helps the people around you. It's not about God giving you more or paying you back. It is about love. And so we move forward to love because that's where life is found and that's what Jesus has commanded us to do. It informs all of sin and the world and leadership and culture. You don't even need a verse. You don't even need to find a passage, love will lead the way. The only command you need is love. It all comes down to this, Romans 13, 9, the commandments. You, 
I love this. You shall not commit adultery. Uh, you shall not murder. You shall not steal. Uh, you shouldn't covet. And whatever other command there may be. I just want you to get this. this. The scripture was not intended as a rule book. Hey, he's just giving you examples. And I love how he starts 101. Hey, I think most of you know this. Don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. That's gonna go bad for you. Um, you shall not murder. I kind of think you're, you're tracking with that too. And hey, don't steal, don't covet because it hurts you and it hurts other people. And then that's pretty much all you need. I'm just giving you some examples. Go and ask those questions and you'll know what to do. And so when you're looking for a loophole and a verse and can I and should I? No, no, just go ask the question. Could this potentially hurt me? Could this potentially hurt somebody else? Could this potentially hurt my heavenly father? And you will have all of the clarity that you need. Love defines our filter for sin. It leads the way in terms of how we view sin. And religion is always obsessed with a list, but I tell you what that can't do. It may keep you from watching some movies and drinking certain stuff or whatever list that you come up with. They're always different for every denomination. It'll keep you from hitting your neighbor, but it, it won't inspire you to go three doors down and love your neighbor and give your life away. Only love can do that. And then Jesus punctuated Matthew 38, 40. You guys still with me? He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Just go do this and you can't do it on your own. It comes with being obsessed with Jesus' love for you and everything will just kind of take care of itself. In fact, here's my summary. Here's why sin is a big deal. And here's why it's defined by the ethic of love. Sin keeps you from loving others and sin keeps people from feeling loved. That's why it's a big deal. And, and here's, here's what I would ask is, what if that were our filter for how we see sin? It, it would change not just how we see sin. Here's what I know in the church and among Christians and how you view culture. It would change how we respond to sin. Like... Um, When we had our baby, I don't know if this is too much information or not, but just real quick. Um, there's something that changes in your relationship where the machine shows up that sucks fluid out of your body and then you um, freeze it in a freezer. But it's an amazing thing. And I'm talking about breast milk, that little liquid gold that is disgusting, but it is, it is the pathway to life and liberty and happiness and freedom and to experience some normalcy for a few hours. And so like... Um, it's amazing. And so you, you know the deal against too much information maybe, but like you, you fill those up and you put them in the freezer and um, it's just, hey, we're gonna get some, for a couple hours, it's gonna be amazing. Because I don't, I love my kids, but I'm like, man, at three or four, I'm really gonna love you. Until then, I'm just enduring right now. And I do love them, but it's like, oh, I just love them at the city. No, I don't. Um, when you're four, you're gonna be amazing. Um, so, but you, so you freeze these things. And so my, my wife would do this. And um, one night we were having dinner and she had done her thing and, you know, freeze the bags and, you know, we're going to be able to go out that weekend. It's amazing. And then uh, we started eating our dinner and it was like a salad, which I don't normally like for dinner, but I was eating a salad. And about halfway through, I started choking. And, um, and I mean, legit choking. I've never had this in my life, but I mean, legit choking where I like for, a, you know, like, 30 seconds, maybe, I don't know how long it was, but you're just like, oh, like maybe I'm gonna die, like just for a moment, that kind of like, this is real. Something is stuck in my throat. It seems like a lot of somethings are stuck in my throat and I cannot 
breathe. And what I found out later, and at the time we were just married, we had no life insurance policy, or I would have seriously suspected foul play, but she was... (laughs) She was cutting these bags and I guess there's different kinds, but they have these hard plastic ends and she's cutting these things up. And then for some reason, she did not do her due diligence in cleaning that counter off. And she, for some reason, didn't have any problem, but all of those plastic edges ended up in my salad. And so I'm halfway through choking about to die. And, And here's my point. She's not sitting on the other end of the couch going, are you all right? I hope that ends well for you. No, what does she do? She jumps up, tries to do this lame version of the Heimlich maneuver and it's not working. And then she's grabbing milk or whatever else. And finally I get them up and they're seriously, all these plastics disgusting, but plastic pieces that I had eaten that got lodged in my throat. And so in that moment, it's a really stupid example. Like what I needed was rescue. She didn't provide a whole lot of it, but she did her best (laughs) to come in and try to rescue me. And my, my point is just this, is that love is the filter for how we see sin, but love is also the filter for how we respond to sin that it is not anger. It is not disappointment. It is not condemnation. It is, I know that sin hurts. It hurts you. It hurts other people around you. It might hurt me. And so I may need to have a conversation. We need to deal with sin. There may be a thing where you got to go to somebody who's a brother or sister, somebody you're close to, to go, man, you are about to lead your life off the rails, but I'm coming not with a response of condemnation or anger. I'm coming with humility, understanding that sin hurts and I'm here to rescue because Jesus is about rescue. And so he says to the woman in adultery, I don't condemn you because I didn't come to condemn. I came to save and rescue. And this sin is hurting you and somebody needs to tell you because you need rescue. And so our response in culture, and maybe you're in a thing right now where somebody's done something to you. There's a relationship where, yeah, like the, the right thing would not be to ignore that. Sin sometimes has to be responded to, but if this leads the way, love is gonna be the filter for how we respond to sin. What I love about Jesus is he dealt with every individual different based on their background, their experience, and their story. It's why Churches shouldn't have any policies as it relate to people because every person is different and every person needs a conversation. And he would go to the woman at the well and it just was like, Jesus, what are you doing? He starts, he starts digging up her relational status. And the reason Jesus did that is because he knew the woman. He's like, until we talk about this, you're gonna continue to hurt you and I just want more for you. He goes to the rich young ruler is how he's described and he confronts him about all his material, like had just become a God, like his leased cars, his business, his, and Jesus is like, material is not the problem. I just know that, that this is leading you down a path you don't wanna go. And if you wanna follow Jesus, you gotta let go of this as your God. And Jesus knew the man. He knew what he needed to deal with in regard to this guy in relationship because he knew sin was hurting him. And then Jesus is on the cross with the criminal and he completely different approach. Jesus didn't talk about sin to that guy. He's like, I think you get it. I think you understand the consequences of sin. Hey, in a few minutes, you're gonna be with me in paradise because you don't know it, but I'm here taking on not just the sin of the world, but your sin. I didn't come to condemn, I came to save. I'll see you in a few minutes. And he dealt with every individual differently, like the woman in adultery. He's there at the temple steps and, and he knew the woman and he knew that 
Sin needed to be dealt with. But he knew that she needed somebody to feel what she felt. And so he looks around at these guys, and I love this. And, and you probably know the verses where he says, if, if anyone is, is without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone at her. And then Jesus, and this is not cuddly Jesus, he gets down on the ground and many scholars believe that he begins to write out the sins of all of the people in the crowd. Bob. And I think he got about halfway through Bob and Bob's like, here's my stone, I'm out. Like it's, it's good. And it says, by, one by one, they began to set the stones down from the oldest to the youngest because the oldest were most aware of their dysfunction. And verse 10, I'm going to do a whole message one time about sarcastic Jesus because I love this, verse 10. <laughs> hey, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Where's everybody at? I, I don't condemn you either because I came to rescue you. And there's times when sin needs confronted, where a conversation needs to happen, where, where we need to enter in and go, hey, hey listen, like this is just not going to end well. But I think our response to sin, being led by the ethic of love, changes that response. Like the first thing is, I'll just give you three real quick and then we'll be done, is we just need to constantly have in our mind that, yeah, we have been hurt by sin, but we have hurt with our sin. Sometimes you sit down with somebody and you get to know their story and things look so dysfunctional and then you hear about the sexual abuse and what happened with their parents. This happened to me recently and I'm like, honestly, if the circumstances would have changed for me, I think my life would look really different. And I think we just need to stop judging people and judging the whole series by the pilot episode and realize that if you were to judge me at my worst moment, it would not look pretty and moving to respond to people in a way that speaks life to go, you know what, I don't think this is the finish line. And maybe it's something where you've been sinned against and you do need to confront it. But even in that, God deal in my heart and help me to come with some kind of humility that knows I have been sinned against, but I have also sinned. And, and I don't really always have the moral high ground. In fact, I'd say this, this is the second thing, Carl Lentz says this, we need to have more thumbs and less fingers. Do you know that there's sin right now in your life that you don't even see right now? I have sin in my life right now, standing on the stage. I don't even see it right now. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? There's times I don't even, like Jesus could spend every day of your life going, that's wrong, that's jacked up, that's messed up. You should stop doing that. Jesus, even in terms of how he responds to our sin, comes with grace to go, hey, I'll just let you work on one thing at a time because this is gonna last until you get to heaven and breathe your last breath. And there's so many things you don't even see right now, but you just need to know your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And even right now in your sin that you don't see, Jesus still hurts for that sin. And so as you look at culture, as you look at other people around you. And we are so arrogant and angry to go. They don't even see it. They're not even repentant. They're so arrogant about it. Well, you know what? Jesus hurts over the sin that you don't see. Jesus hurts over the sin that they don't see. Doesn't mean it's not a big deal, but it should change our response to understand repentance is not needed for compassion to be extended. Jesus hurts over sin. His sin jacks people up. Sin hurts their lives. And sometimes we go for seasons of our life and we don't ever even see it. So it means as I respond to sin, I'm going to have a healthy dose of, of thumbs before I reach out with fingers to understand that sin has affected all of us. 
And the command to love is gonna change even how I respond to it. Like I love Robert Madu's comment as it regards to even how we see culture is that in, in this age of hysteria, just because you're offended by something, it doesn't mean you're right. We don't always have moral clarity. In fact, and just one more thing, and I, I know I'm kind of giving it heavy, but a lot of the sin that you're most angry over, and this is just psychology, this is, this is how we're wired, this is the result of sin in the world. Many times the sin that you're most angry over is the sin that at some level resides in you. You're most judgmental of what at some level is mirrored inside of you. And the most judgmental parents are parents that are really insecure about their own parenting. I'll just give you a, a broad one. We get so angry at the government over debt and they can't balance a budget and they can't live within their means. And yet the majority of Americans can't live within their means. And so the very thing that they throw stones about, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be a conversation, is the very thing they can't get control of in their own life. In fact, Paul said this in the message, and this is just where we've got to start when we confront sin or, or there's a relationship where we care about somebody and so we wanna rescue them. Romans 2, 1, if you think this leaves you on the high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. And so does a conversation need to happen? Yeah. Should we be concerned about sin in the world? Yeah, it's a big deal. But as the filter begins to become love and understanding what Jesus has done that changes how I see and how I respond to sin, in many cases, I'm gonna enter into that conversation with less anger and a little more hurt and a little bit more humility because I'm gonna point the thumb at me before I point the finger at you. And I'm gonna come recognizing that my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And yeah, I've been hurt by sin, but dang it, I've hurt a lot of people with my sin. And then we could just say this last thing. This is the last just in terms of how we respond to sin. It's gonna sound kind of harsh, but if I don't know you, I don't need to hear from you. If I don't know you, I don't need to hear from you. The church is so notorious for being the moral patrol police for everybody, whether you have a relationship with them or not. Like, I'll just give you one example, and I really need to deal with this because I realize it keeps coming out in my preaching, but even in this series as some of the just things have grown with access to messages, you get a lot more criticism. And so these huge things that are sent from people at different states that you don't even know, just taking you to task. And I haven't done this yet, but I just, one of these, I'm just gonna write back to go, do I know you? <laughs> do I know you? Like, yeah, things, things need to be dealt with and sins sometimes need to be confronted. Like if your kid is going across the street, you should do everything to save and to rescue your kid. But, but listen, this is where so often the church just needs to rein it back where we are so focused on out here. And what should happen is in the church, we should get into authentic community. We should stop just showing up for a show. We should get with brothers and sisters in Christ. We should develop deep, meaningful relationships. We should start to really get to know each other's story and life within a community 
community of people. That's why community groups are so important so that when I go off the rails, I've got a brother there who knows me, who knows my story that's more than just an acquaintance to go, Brian, I don't think this is gonna end well. I don't think you're thinking this through. I think this is gonna hurt you. I think this is gonna lead your family in a way that's not gonna be good down the road. And I love you enough to respond to sin, but I'm responding with humility and grace because I know that I'm not any better. It's just Jesus and all of us, but I know that he wants more for your life. I know that Jesus loves you. I love you. And Jesus wants more for his kids. And I'm gonna be concerned about that in here and stop pointing my finger out there at people who've never signed on to the Jesus thing. We have no right to judge their behavior or their moral dilemma based on his standards. We need to look at us. We need to get into community with us and we need to stop pointing our finger out there. If somebody doesn't know Jesus or somebody is not in relationship with you, they do not need to hear from you. Oh, that didn't sound harsh, but I just kind of fired up about it. And I just want to read this verse because I, lo- I don't know. Go back and read this. I don't know how we missed this. Paul is so clear. All this crazy stuff was happening in Corinth. He's like, dude, guys, get into the community and help one another because it's out of control and stop worrying about everybody else outside of Corinth. And he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Meaning those who've never embraced Jesus. And he, obviously you're smart. He's not talking about civil law or... But in terms of just trying to constantly moralize and legislate morality and point your finger at everybody else, I mean, there's times right now where I'm so embarrassed. Among Jesus followers in our screams of Armageddon and hysteria, because we've so aligned Jesus with a policy or a political movement or our view of the world to where we are so angry and so hateful. And I just... I just want to tell you, I think if we're in this place of these, it's so important that we will bypass the command to love to just push our agenda forward. We're missing something. And I don't know why we have these screams of hysteria in Armageddon when we serve a resurrected Jesus. And sometimes I just think we need to lift our eyes up and not get it on an American flag, but get it on Jesus, who is the savior of the world. And I know you think that this is the center of everything that Jesus is doing in the world and you rip some passages out of context to support that view. It is not. We serve a multi-generational, multi, a a global God who is up to something in the world. His plans are not gonna be thwarted. His ways are not gonna be headed off. He is gonna do his thing and he is going to come back and set everything right. And he's doing something all around the world. You're gonna be okay. It's gonna be all right. And so we need to start looking at us and stop looking at everything out there. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, yeah, I'm gonna involve myself in civil discussion and I'm gonna have an opinion and there's stuff that's a big deal, but there is a bigger deal. Jesus was sent to earth. He's now made us his ambassadors and we are not aligning with a political movement or party. We're aligning with Jesus. And the only command that matters is to love others the way that he has loved you. It is the only thing that matters. So deal with sin. 
confront sin when it's needed in relationship. Do what is the right thing to do to rescue a brother or sister. But love is the thing that informs our command in terms of how we see sin, how we respond to sin, and it is the only thing that matters. And so let's stop believing that Jesus somehow needed to make an addendum on this. This is enough. Just walk out of here and do this and stop getting involved where we are misusing the Bible as a weapon. And we use the, the Bible, taking it out of context, and we use Jesus' words to wound and hurt the people that Jesus loves. And I just wanna tell you, that is a far bigger sin than whatever you see out there. And then last thing, the whole question of, well, yeah, yeah, but we need to respond to sin. We need to deal with sin. Sin was dealt with. Jesus went to a cross and he took the power and the penalty of sin on his body. And then he walked out of the grave alive and the writer of Hebrews says he literally, I love this language, he put his feet up at the right hand of God, just chilling, letting everybody know that what I came to earth, I did. I judged and I tried sin and all of the rightful wrath and anger that sin deserves, injustice deserves for all mankind. It was taken on my body and I paid for it. And I walked out of a grave alive signifying, I paid it back, I paid for it. I broke the power of sin. And one day I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna crush Satan under my heel and I'm gonna rip away the keys to death, hell and the grave. And you can go free through trust in me, but you just need to know I dealt with sin. I handled sin. I ended sin. Sin has no power any longer. And no matter how deep the sin you are in right now, my response to you is not anger and condemnation and disappointment. That was handled at the cross. My response is hurt because you're my kid and I don't want sin to distort my view of you. And I don't want it to keep you from loving you and loving others and experiencing the life that I have for you because I want more for my kids and I'm hurt for you. So leave your life of sin, but sin being dealt with, sin was dealt with. Now the only command to lead the way is I want you to love others the way you saw me love on a cross. And it forms how you view and how you respond to sin, no matter how bad the hurt is. And so just go do that. So as we close, just real quick, would you just stand with me? I think there's two invitations. For some of us, I think it just starts with a prayer where we need to see and respond differently to sin. And it's not minimizing or watering anything down. Trust me, Jesus is enough and his words are enough. And if you embrace this, it's not gonna fan the flames of sin. It's gonna lead you to a place where you leave it behind based on the motivation of love. It's gonna change everything. But in, in our individual lives, the person that you're struggling with right now, maybe the person that's done something to you, maybe it's just what's going on in culture. I think the prayer is to see and respond to sin differently, to have a new filter. Is Jesus just break my heart for what breaks your heart? And at the end of the day, and the thing that's happening in my marriage, severed relationship, that group of people that I look at and I'm so angry. God, give me the filter to see sin even through the command of love and give me more humility and give me less hatred and give me more compassion and give me less condemnation and give me a new filter to see people who sin different than me.
But Jesus changed my response and my view of sin. And then the second invitation is this as we close. For some of you, the invitation is to leave your life of sin. And it sounds kind of old school, but that's the invitation. And maybe this is different than how you've ever heard this invitation before, that this is not based on fear. In fact, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you have all the favor and all the love and all the acceptance in this moment that you're ever gonna have. This is based on the fact that Jesus has arrived and he's led the way with a new ethic. And that's where you're gonna find life and your sin right now, it's hurting you. It's hurting people around you and you can't love and hurt. So maybe bringing a secret into the light and maybe having a different, difficult conversation with your spouse. It, it may be getting some help and counseling, or it may be just in an area where you just keep on this treadmill of this habit and addiction. And, and maybe right now, Jesus wants to release you from that and he can. If you would just look to him, you are able, you have the power through the spirit of God to leave your life of sin. And then last thing as we walk out of here, this is our way forward. Not, is there a verse? What are the rules? What's the law say? How close, what should I do? Should, should I make this decision? Should I accept that job? All you need is this. All you need is love. Is this gonna hurt me? Is this gonna hurt anybody around me? Could this potentially hurt my heavenly father? Is this what it looks like? Is this what it looks like to love? And I don't even need a verse. I don't even need my Bible to do that. I just want to know your love and I want to love me in terms of what you've said about me and I wanna love other people around me. And so with heads bowed, eyes closed all over the house. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing in this moment. I release this to, Lord, just continue to move with people as they walk out of the building to do your work, to move this from their head to their heart. And I pray for those right now that they just need a new filter to surrender to you in their anger, in their hatred, in their self-righteousness to go, Jesus, I want a new filter that's based on love in terms of how I see and respond to sin. And then for others of us, and I know the stories are deep and there's some painful stuff right now in this moment. Help them to leave their life of sin. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.